Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So this is kind of the call that God has put on us corporately. And yesterday was our day of solemn assembly. How many of you were able to participate, even if just online? I know some of you went, and then some came here. How many were able to participate on some level? Praise God. That is awesome. Praise the Lord for that. Yes, yes. So um, if you know, yesterday we, we actually saw an incredible gathering of God's people in two events that were collaboratively happening at the same time. This is the event, The Return that started at nine o'clock in the morning and went to nine o'clock in the evening. And, you know, we, we trusted the Lord to guide us into this as we listened to him the best we knew how. And, um, oh my, like, oh my, you know, like nine o'clock in the morning, we were like, whoa, what is going on here? And then 11 o'clock when Jonathan Kahn gave his prophetic word, like, I don't know where you were, but I was like on my face and I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, like this is from you. This is anointed. Listen to me. This is world history. This is world history in the making. Young people, if you were there and you were a part of it, you need to tell your children's children and their children that you were a part of revival for the glory of God in the year 2020. Because I really do believe revival is coming. I believe awakening is coming. And so, you know, that was happening on one side. And by the way, we want to say we don't know what's going to happen ever at these events because I don't have a relationship with Jonathan Kahn. I don't have a relationship with these guys. So it was beautiful. And then we also felt like after the five o'clock hour at six o'clock, it was like the wheels didn't come off the cart, but it started like kind of shaking at least some. And so we just wanted to say that out loud that we didn't agree with everything theologically, especially at that six to nine hour. But we trust the Lord with that too. Amen. So what was happening is there was 50,000 people plus gathered in Washington, D.C. for the return and millions online, some estimates of tens of millions online. And then on the other side of the Washington Monument was the prayer march, which was this. And so, yeah. So there were people here who attend here at both events down there, and I've communicated with several of them, and they were just saying it was like revival all over the place, like in the hotels, in the convenience stores, wherever you were, people were like praying, and they were filled with the glory of God, and they, she said it was like utopia almost, because everybody was just so friendly and kind and loving, and there was no protests, no violence, no riots, nothing, nothing by the grace of God. I shouldn't say there wasn't any protest. That's a protest right there. 150,000 people then on the mall. That's the estimates that the park rangers are given. And then around the world, millions. And we got to be a part of it. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen Jonathan Kahn's prophetic word, go on the line, online, thereturn.org. You can fast forward up to, I think it'd probably be the third hour. He spoke at 11 o'clock and just spend an hour listening to that word. Please, 
I beg you, please. It's time for God's people to rise up. And that's what we've been sensing all around. And I hope we're all enough, awake enough at this point to acknowledge that we are in a very troublesome place in our country. Amen? We have hope because we have a great God. And today, um, I'm going to answer the question to a little greater extent how we've gotten here. How have we gotten to this place where our country is in such trouble? And where the church is in such trouble, right? Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, how have we as the church failed? And I, I said a couple of weeks ago, it was the frog in the pot analogy. If you were with us then, right? You take a frog and you put the frog in a pot of hot boiling water and he will jump out, he or she um, will jump out. <laughs> but if you take the frog and put them in a pot of cold water and you turn the heat up slowly, that frog will just cook in there alive, And that's what's happened for us as the the church of Jesus Christ. That's what happens for us in the nation that was founded on the principles of God and Judeo-Christian ethics and on the scripture itself. That's what's happened over time is the heat has been turned up a little bit at a time. Satan is not a fool. He won't throw everything at you at once because if he does, you'll see his hand clearly and you'll go, oh, I know who that is. So what he does is he just introduces things a little bit at a time and turns the heat up over time. And we've, we've, we're in that place, folks, where we've been, we're being cooked. So here's a primary failure of us and, and something we need to repent of today. We've stopped keeping watch. And you might go, well, what's that mean? Well, I'm going to talk about the watchman and his message today. And that would have meant a lot to the ancient Hebrew because they knew exactly what a watchman was. Um, But listen to these words of Jesus when he asked Peter and the sons of Zebedee to stay in a place and pray for him. Remember, this is as he was preparing to go to the cross for our sins. And he was deeply troubled. This is where he went out and prayed, Father, if you could take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. This is where he went out and did that final act of surrender you know, in, in communion with his father. And he asked Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, stay in this place and pray for me. Listen to what happened, Matthew 26, 40, 41. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Sounds like us. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Keep watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can you say that phrase with me? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And many say, well, Jesus is watching over his church. That's true. But who does Jesus live in? Us. So a lot of times, you know, we, oh, Jesus is taking care of that. Yeah, but no, Jesus lives in you. He lives in us together. He lives in us very powerfully together. We just don't know it. We really don't know how powerful Jesus is in us together. You know why? Because we have bought into an individualistic mindset. See, that's my fatigue. If I just start mumbling words, just think I'm speaking in tongues and we'll all be good, okay? (laughs) So we have bought into an individualistic mindset in our culture. It's all about me. I'm number one and I can do it. It's Nike. Go do it. All right, so I'm going to just a little illustration here, a little point this morning. Um, I thought I'd like to have one man in the room be willing to stand up and just yell for us, please. Just to raise a hand. All right, brother, yell for us. Yay! That's pretty good. All right, now will everybody please stand up? 
And on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to yell. One, two, three. Ah! Holy smokes. I almost soiled my underwear. Not a picture that I wanted to paint, but I'm tired. So bear with me. Go ahead, sit down. So do you hear the difference? I mean, did you hear the difference? So here's the thing. That's what we've bought into. So when we look at the world around us and we look at the state of our nation and we look at the state of the church, we go, I can't, I can't do anything about that. You're right. You can't. You know what the truth of the matter is? We can't either, but Jesus can. And here's the deeper truth. He can do it in us together. But we're so individualistic. We've been so programmed to think about the me. We've forgotten about the we. And the we is so much greater than the parts. It's the whole body together built by Jesus Christ. You're living stones being built into a spiritual house, the scripture says. But so many of us think, well, I'm just a little rock. I, I can't change the world. Well, look, God's used one person time and time and time again to bring about radical change. But what happens is that one person is used by God and then the people of God gather around. Can I tell you, I think Jonathan Kahn's one of those guys. Amen. Can I tell you, that was anointed and appointed. You know, we were all watching to see. And then when we saw, we went, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for raising up a man of God on a national, international platform that can be used by you. So I'm going to pray for Jonathan right now. Would you be kind enough to join me? Lord, we thank you so much for Jonathan. We thank you so much for other leaders that rose up yesterday. We ask in the name of Jesus for your provision, for your protection, for your guidance, and for your correction for your son, Jonathan. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way in which you raged through him yesterday. We profess now before you, you long to rage through us in the same way. We thank you for Jonathan, but most of all, we thank you for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We never put our hope in man. We put our hope in the God-man, Jesus Christ himself. We put our hope in the Lord, right? So, so... Jonathan's a guy, he's a person just like you and me. He's faulty, frail, broken before God. And yet he was a megaphone yesterday for the glory of God. And, and here's the thing, you need to understand something. You can be that too. But, but when we do it together, it becomes far more pronounced and profound. So we need to be watchmen and Jesus lives in us. And because we've stopped watching, the enemy has broken down our walls and infiltrated our ranks. Now, if you're, if you're a military person, that means something to you, infiltrated the ranks. There's, there's an enemy amongst us. And you know, you, you have to move in a very vigilant and sober way when there's an enemy among you. Now, when we talk about walls being broken down, the Hebrew would have understood that completely. The prophet Ezekiel, he was a watchman over God's people. And today we're going to look at God's word and understanding the watchman and his message. So if you want to turn with me to Ezekiel 33, that's where we'll be today. Um, we've talked about this call to wake up, to weep, and to go to war. I want to point out to you the season we're in and that tomorrow night will be a gathering for the Day of Atonement. Now, that's going to be very different than any gathering we've had so far. This is pulling out the stops, and we are going to celebrate the Lamb of God. So if you have flags, you're welcome to bring them. 
You have a shofar, you can bring it, but don't blow it until the appointed time. Okay, you're welcome to hoop and holler with us because we're going to be hooping and hollering tomorrow. This is different for us than it was for the ancient Jew. Remember, this is the time when the priest would go in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and ask for one more year of forgiveness from God. And guess what? We don't need to do that anymore. Do you even realize that Jews don't sacrifice animals anymore? If you know a Jew, ask them why. And they'll go, I don't really know why. Tell them, you say, well, your word says you're supposed to sacrifice a bull and a goat right here. Why, why are you not doing it? I don't really know why. And you say, I know why. Because the Lamb of God was sacrificed for us once and for all. And we're going to celebrate our new identity in Jesus Christ tomorrow. So if you have self-doubt, if you have doubt about how precious you are to God, if you doubt how much God loves you, if you struggle at all with understanding who you are in Jesus Christ, please come tomorrow night. We're going to spend some time focused on that, okay? All right, so I said, we're going to speak from Ezekiel today. We're in chapter 33, 1 through 10. Listen, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people. Speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against a land and the people of the land, choose one of their men and make him their watchman. He sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet, that's the shofar, to warn the people that if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Son of man, I have made you a watchman. For the people of Israel. So hear the word. I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sin. And I hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn that wicked person to turn from their ways. And they do not turn so, do so. They will die for their sin. Though you yourself will be saved. Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins Weigh us down. And we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? This is the passion of a loving God. I don't take any pleasure in people dying in wickedness. I don't take any pleasure in them seeking the uh, kind of experiencing the consequences of their sins. I don't take any pleasure in them being weighted down by their sins. I take pleasure in setting people free. But you have to turn. Now look, ancient Hebrew would have immediately gotten a picture in mind whenever they heard the word watchman. You see, many cities... Uh, of God's people had walls around them. This is the city of Jerusalem. And it has a wall all around it. Here's another picture. You can see the wall there. In the time of Nehemiah, you know, the walls were broken down and the city was being infiltrated. Here's some other pictures you can just see closer of other cities with walls around them. This is what's called a fortified city. And if the city were on a hill, like our city is right here, 
By the way, we sit on a rock too. I don't know if you know that, but this whole foundation is sitting on a rock and on a hill. That's kind of cool, don't you think? Um, but the walls, which we don't have yet, we're going to work on building those soon. <laughs> I hope we don't have to, by the grace of God. Um, you see that wall right there? It has a little watch house in it. And in that watch house would be a watchman or watchwoman, and they would stand on the wall. And at the time of the ancient Hebrew, that person would stand on the wall, and they were doing what they were called to do. And of course, when they needed to, they would blow the shofar, the horn. And everybody inside the city would be aware that they needed to be warned that something was happening. Pay attention now. It's, it's time to, to actually wake up. And um, I want you to know that the, the Jerusalem is called the city of peace. That's what the word means. Jerusalem, right? It means the city of peace. And so I want you to first go with me for a second. Um, you have a Jerusalem in your soul. Your soul is kind of a Jerusalem. If Jesus Christ lives inside of you, then you have inside of you a soul that is filled for the glory of God with the spirit of God. And Jesus says, my peace I give you, my peace I live, leave with you. I do not give as the world gives, but I give you peace. So if you have Jesus Christ inside of you, his desire is to fill the walls of your soul with his peace. You see, you are in your own soul, a little Jerusalem, a city of peace. And so the watchman has to keep watch. That's what watchmen do. It's in his name or her name, right? Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against the land and the people of the land, choose one of their men or women and make him their watchman and see this, the sword coming against the land. We see this message in the New Testament. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So say this after me. Lord, give us eyes to see. Uh, once more, Lord, give us eyes to see. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How many of you have ever been nailed by a house cat? I mean, you, like attacked. You're, you're like... Yeah, like bit and scratched, right? I used to have a cat. She was so nasty. I don't know why. I gave her to the neighbor. <laughs> and um, I told her, I told her up front, I said, this is a really nasty cat. She said, oh, I like nasty cats. And they got along fine over there. I think the woman had a little problem too, you know? So I, I, but, but that cat, man, would like attack me. And it would like rip, I mean, all the claws and everything like that. And I thought, man, can you imagine the damage a lion can do? I mean, there's no way those, those claws weren't breaking my skin. I mean, she would make me bleed. And she was so wiry, and, and I was unbelievable. I couldn't get her off my hand. I tried to shake her off when she was attacking me. Well, I mean, come on, survival, right? Self-defense. But um, yeah, maybe that was part of the problem. I don't know. But, but I thought, what could a lion do? Your enemy seeks about, prowling about like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Now look, if you're in Christ Jesus, he ultimately can't kill you. You're going home to be with Jesus. But what he can do is mess you up a bit. And what he can do is mess you up to the point where you are ineffective for the cause of Christ. And I can tell you this, if you're losing your effectiveness for Jesus in some way, it's because you're not keeping watch over your first responsibility. Your first responsibility is to keep watch over your own soul. Listen to these words from Proverbs. 
above all else, protect your own soul or keep watch over your own soul for out of it comes the wellspring of life. So remember, you've been given a soul. Your soul was destined for hell. Jesus Christ comes along and he sheds his blood for you and he buys you back. He redeems you. And he says, now I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new soul. I'm going to give you my very presence in your person. I'm going to live in you. You will be my temple. And so he takes up residence in your heart. And at first you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then you start walking through life. And some of us, all of us come to Jesus in different ways. I never mess with anybody's conversion stories. I've heard the most bizarre ways Jesus come to Jesus. And I will never mess with a conversion story. Why? Because it's always beautiful. It's always beautiful when when Jesus takes up his residence in your life by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so he puts a good deposit in you himself, his Holy Spirit. But here's the problem. You still have a responsibility. Great, Jesus, come in. Do everything for me. He's like, well, I will. I'll change your life and I will do everything for you. But you must participate with me in order to be effective. You see, you have to participate. There's a part for you to play. Look, look throughout the Gospels. Jesus is always doing these miracles, and yet he always has a part for people to play. Isn't it bizarre? This is Kai laying, you know, as, a, as an invalid for all these years by this pool of water, and he's putting his hope in some angels that are going to stir the water. And uh, Jesus kind of says some questions to him, like, do you really want to get well, which is really interesting. And then when he heals him, he says, pick up your mat and walk. He could just say, walk. He said, pick up your mat. You know, when Lazarus was dead in the grave and stinking and there was all this weeping going on, Jesus shows up. He weeps with the women, which shows his heart for us. And then he, he says, roll away the stone. <laughs> he didn't have to do that. He could have just waved his hand. <laughs> and that stone could have rolled away. And then, then Lazarus shows up and everybody's in gas. And, they, and he says, take off his grave clothes. You see, he's always asking us to participate to do our part. This is the deception that we've often bought into the church of Jesus Christ is one of Jesus comes in, he's going to do everything. And that's true and right because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the power that we need. But then we often think, well, we don't really have to do anything to participate. We can just lay around and wait till he comes back. Wrong, so wrong, so wrong. There's ways for us to participate with him. And so God calls us to participate with him in keeping watch over our own soul. So let's just picture this for a second. You can close your eyes if you want. Jesus lives inside of you and inside you is this beautiful garden. It is filled with such incredible peace. And in that garden, then there's, you see there's this like city and there's this development going on, but it's not like a city that you've ever seen before. It's so incredibly beautiful. Like there's this place inside of you that's so incredibly beautiful for the glory of God. Whatever picture fits for you, you just think about that. That's what Jesus is doing inside of you. He's creating this place, an inner sanctum, a temple of the most holy God. It's a Jerusalem. It's a place of peace. But here's the truth for so many of us. We haven't kept watch over that soul when the walls are broken down. So you're in here today and you go, Jeff, I'd love to picture that place in my heart. But all I look when I see inside is a pile of rubble. Can I tell you that Jesus can restore that? He's willing and he's able. But folks, the walls need to be built. And you need to start being a watchman again. 
See, watchmen were posted even when the walls were being built. Do you know when Nehemiah talked about the rebuilding of the walls, what he realized is he had to actually post people with bows and spears to protect those who were building the walls? problem with us as believers in this culture is we've let the, cre- the culture creep into our souls. And we haven't stood watch over our own souls. You've got to stand the wall. You've got to be looking out there. And you've got one of two responses, all is well, or two arms. And can I tell you that two arms is becoming a more repetitive cry? For those of us who are in Christ Jesus and who have been standing on the wall, look, I've failed to stand on the wall. I've let evil slip, slip, in, slip seep into the Jerusalem of my soul. And Jesus says, it's in there, get it out. Why was he consumed with zeal for the house of God? He had passion for the house of God. He wanted to cleanse the house of God. He wants your soul to be so pure, so filled with peace, so filled with joy that you can participate then in the next responsibility we have. But, but let me say this to you first. What do you need to watch out for in your soul? Well, here's the first thing. You need to watch out for anything that is contrary to the word of God. Anything that is contrary to the word of God. Well, how do you know if something's contrary to the word of God? I'm glad that you ask. You spend time with the Spirit of God, in the Word of God. I I don't know how often I can say this. (laughs) I need to say it to myself. Why so downcast on my soul? Like, put your hope in God. Well, how do you put your hope in God? You go to His Word, in His Spirit, and you let Him speak to you. Yes, you speak to Him. Yes, prayer is two-part, speaking. But most of us think prayer is just speaking and not listening. How many of you have ever been around a person who just talks and doesn't listen? I mean, do you love that? Don't you just want to grab them and shake them? I mean, I've taken walks with fellow pastors and like, I tend to be a pretty listening guy and so I'll walk and I'm not going to say any names, but I'm walking, I'm walking, I'm walking and like an hour and a half in, I haven't said a word. And I've tried, but nobody's home. Nobody's listening. And then I've even actually had enough candor at some point to say, stop and say, hey, brother, you've been talking for an hour and a half. Like, can I talk for a while? Yeah, we got to be that kind of people who speak the truth in love. I love you, bro, but I got some needs too, man. I just, I just, I got some space. Can I get some space. So, if you have a relationship with God, yes, you speak to Him. Yes, you confess to Him. Yes, you praise Him. But you got to listen to Him, man. You got to listen to Him. If prayer is two part, I got to say that the vast majority of it needs to be listening. Listen, you have two ears, one mouth. Use them proportionately. How do you listen to God? Well, you pray, you listen in the Spirit, and you go to the Word. Because if you don't know the word of God, you can't test things against the word of God. We take every thought captive to Christ Jesus. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. As a person thinks, so is he or she, as the Proverbs say. So if your soul, the place of your emotions, and it's kind of synonymous with your mind, 
If it's in a deep, dark place, if, if there's rubble there, now look, we all know that we suffer grief, and yes, we weep, and yes, we bleed when you cut us, so I'm not talking about the joy-filled Christian never cries. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is that you trust Jesus even in the midst of your grief, and you see his light shining in the midst of the darkness. So you take every thought captive and, and, and you understand the only way you're going to do that is to study the word of God. Listen, people who identify counterfeit money, I've talked about this before, but at bankers who identify counterfeit money, what they do is they handle the real stuff all the time. They're trained to handle the real stuff so that when they touch a bill that's counterfeit, they go, oh, that doesn't feel right at all. They're so accustomed to handling the real stuff that when they f- feel the fake stuff, they go, oh, this is fake. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to handle the real truth of God and the word of God so much that when something comes to your wall of your soul and it wants to penetrate you or break a brick out or get inside your soul, inside your own personal Jerusalem, you say, no, no. In the name of Jesus, away. This is God's city. This is God's place. So we keep watch over our souls and we watch for anything that's contrary to the word of God. And specifically, I want to encourage you to watch out for anything or anyone that attacks your identity in Jesus. How many of you feel like life has beat you up here? If you're alive and well, I'm assuming that's true for you. You might hear messages like this. It's all your fault. You're worthless. You're such a liar. You're a thief. You're such a failure. Well, Jeff, I have lied. Doesn't that make me a liar? If you're in Christ Jesus, no. (laughs) Oh, I have stolen, Jeff. Doesn't that make me a thief? If you're in Christ Jesus, no. You see, this is what we don't understand, is that God has given us a new identity that has nothing to do with what we've done. But it has to do with who we are in him. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. You listen to the subtly. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Before Jesus Christ, when I lied, I was a liar. Now in Jesus Christ, when I lie, I'm a saint who sinned. I'm no longer defined by my sin. I'm defined by my sainthood. I'm a child of the Most High God. And I blew it, but his grace is sufficient for me because his power is made perfect in his weakest. But you do understand, I'm no longer identified by what I do. Parents, if your children lie, please don't call them liars. Yes, bring discipline to them, please. For the love of God, bring discipline to them. I mean, should we get on our knees now? I feel like falling on my face right now. Please. (laughs) Bring discipline to them. Yes, it's because you love them. Do you realize if you don't discipline your child, it means you do not love them? Why do I say that? You're like, Pastor Jeff. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. So if you fail to discipline your child, you're not loving them. But don't mess up their identity, man. 
You see, Jesus Christ said this, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've separated you, your new person, from your transgressions. Do you understand that all the things that you've done wrong, as well as the things that you've done right, no longer define you? You're a child of God. That's who you are. So you can rest in your own Jerusalem in peace and knowing who you are in Christ Jesus because of what he did for you at the cross. And when you mess up or when you do something great, you don't base your identity on that at all. You just base your identity. I'm just a child of God. He's doing his thing. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. I'm his. I belong to him. You see, when these messages come in, we need to be able to protect the walls of the city by understanding that we are now children of God. Listen to John 1, 9 through 13. The true light that gives light to everyone has, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, this dude made the world, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of the human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Christian, you have been born again. You are a whole new person in Jesus Christ. Listen, the enemy has two strategies when it comes to your sin. The first thing is, is he wants to keep it hidden from you so you don't even really know that you're sitting. He wants you to kind of diminish it so that you don't actually know the impact of the course of our sin. So you do know that the way of the transgressor is hard, the scripture says. People say it's hard to be a Christian. Can I tell you it's harder not to be a Christian? The way of the transgressor is hard. That means that sin always has consequences and God has written universal laws into our life here like sowing and reaping that will not be defied. You reap what you sow. So if you treat people with bitterness and anger and if you unforgiveness, guess what's going to happen? It's going to be really hard for you to receive the forgiveness of God. Because you're sowing something, and even though God has forgiven you, what you're reaping is what you're sowing. It's coming back to you. What comes through you comes back to you. So this is a universal law. And so Satan wants to keep your sin hidden from you so that you do not turn back to God and repent. That's his first strategy. But you know what? If he can't keep it hidden, you know what he'll do? He wants to beat the crap out of you with it. In our times of repentance and confession this week, we have some incredibly beautiful times for the glory of God. But I'm a watchman, man, and I listen. I listen, and when people are confessing sins at times, there's times where at this point where people turn and they start heaping all this condemnation and accusation on themselves, and they start listening to their flesh and the evil one, and he wants to push them down. So here's the thing. You are, by the grace of God, deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a child of the Most High God, and nothing in all of creation, neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demon, nor anything, can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Is that not good news? And so we do weep over our sin, and we do repent, but we know this. Our sin is not greater than Jesus' forgiveness. So here's a little saying that I really love. Next time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Next time someone attacks you with your words, 
Consider an approach that I've employed kind of a number of times, and I find it to be extremely effective. Somebody comes at me with a bunch of words, starts accusing me of things, and I say, you think I'm that bad? Can I tell you something? You don't know the half of it. (laughs) I'm far worse than you think I am. But listen, but by the blood of Jesus, I've been washed clean from all of my sins, and I'm a child of the Most High God. And I want him to continue to work into me according to his goodwill and purpose in my life. So if there's things that you need, you think I need to correct, go ahead and bring them. But can we change the way you're saying them? Because that makes me kind of defensive. You see, I'm really good at that honest self-definition thing. But we all need to change. We all need to change. But what we don't want to do is buy the hook that Satan wants to say, how could he ever forgive a miserable soul like you? How could he ever love someone like you? You've screwed up so much that he could never bring you back. Yeah, maybe at one point you belong to him, but look how far you've walked away. Can I encourage you? Those are lies from the pit of hell. Can I tell you that his mercies are new every morning? Can I tell you that his faithfulness is to the sky and that he is always willing to receive back a little one who comes to him? He says, I will never deny anyone who comes to me. He's right there. It's my favorite illustration. I'm going to use it again. But how many of you ever helped a child learn to walk? Yeah, and so when that kid stumbles and falls and stuff like that and doesn't quite work right, how many of you have ever punted them to the curb? If you raise your hand, we're called Child Protective Services. Now, we're, we're going to actually lay hands on you right now. That's what we're going to do. But, but here's the thing. You who are evil want to give your children good gifts. How much more patient do you think your Father in Heaven is with you? Just learning to walk, man. That's all. Learning to walk in him. So what does he do when you fall? I love you. Come on, son. Come on. Come on, daughter. Picks you up. Brushes the dust off you. Come on, let's try this again. Let's try this again. You can do this with me. I love you. Come on. I love you. And yet so many of us allow our walls to be infiltrated by the evil one, and we allow the spirit of condemnation, the voice of the accuser, to get on the inside. Do you know Satan is called by those names in the Bible? He is called the the voice of the accuser. He accuses the brethren, that's us, night and day before the throne room of God. He's called the spirit of condemnation. You're not under condemnation, you're under grace. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are under the grace of God. And that is a safe city. That's a safe city to be in under the grace of God. If you're under condemnation, man, you're outside the walls of the city. And you are in weeping and gnashing and biting of teeth. Like that's the place you're in under condemnation. But if you're in Christ Jesus, you're now in the fortified city of God. You're in God's Jerusalem, the place of peace. So the more that we fully participate in keeping watch over our own souls, the more that we can understand something else. We've not only been given a soul, but we have also been given a family. You see, we got to go from the me to the we. Because your me, it doesn't really have the punch and impact it needs to have unless you think of your me in the context of the we. And if you are someone who walks in the word and the spirit of God and in the ways of God, in your own personal Jerusalem, if you're standing watch over your own soul, guess what? You can play a greater part in the family. Now, everybody plays a great part in the family. Everybody's important. So this is why we're grateful when anybody comes to Grace Fellowship Church or comes into the family of God because God, angels in heaven rejoice over that. But as you get strengthened, then you can help more and more enter the city of God. 
You understand when we invite people to come to Christ, we're inviting them to a place of safety and eternal security. There's a lot of talk about safety in our culture. I don't know if you've noticed that since COVID, people um, respond, instead of saying goodbye or God bless, they say, be safe. Be safe. I don't know about you, but I feel like slapping them. (laughs) Be safe. It's really dangerous out there. Well, it is dangerous out there, but I'm in here with Jesus. So yeah, I mean, there's some wisdom in that. I'm not trying to mock COVID, please. I know it's a real disease. Let's go balance things out. I was going to be balancing things out, Pastor Jeff, right? Balance it out. But, But here's the truth. We're so concerned that people are going to get hurt physically by COVID, hurt physically in a riot, hurt physically in this, hurt physically in that. We spend a lot of time going to doctors, don't we? Trying to protect our bodies. Do you know when you invite somebody to come to Jesus Christ, you are inviting them into eternal safety. You are inviting them into eternal security. You are inviting them into the city of God. Jerusalem, the place of peace. So when you say to someone, gosh, you know, Jesus, you are opening a door in the wall for the glory of God. And you're saying there is a safe place for you in here, a place where you no longer need to hide, a place where all your sins and all your words can be exposed and you will be deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted and complete in Christ Jesus. You will be his child you just kind of forget that that's what the gospel is about. That's what the gospel is about. And when we invite people into the gospel as a watchman of the Lord, we're inviting people to come into the safety of God eternally. So the more that we understand that we have a soul and protect it and watch over it, then the more we can participate in the family because we have to keep watch for the family. Listen to Hebrews thirteen seven: Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I don't know how you would feel if I came up to you at any point and challenged you and you said, I'm your leader, obey and submit. You would probably go, get away from me. But but here's the truth. Like, if you ever see a godly leader anywhere, and I pray by the grace of God, there are times when I am a godly leader, that godly leader has the heart of God for you. Listen, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. See, godly leadership is supposed to be somebody who's standing on the wall and looking out over the people and watching over the people of God's souls. That's what godly leadership is supposed to be. As those who will give an account. You see, I I love the role that I serve in, but can I tell you something? This humbles the heck out of me. Why? Because I'm going to be called to give a greater account than somebody who's not in this role. I'm going to be called to account for every word that I speak. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of God, wash me with your blood. Let nothing proceed from my mouth except that which is your word. That's why every Sunday I'm back there on my face in my office with these pieces of paper under my face crying out to God. God, I can't, but you can help me to get the heck out of your way. This is serious stuff. This is, this, is, this is crazy stuff. And the fact that I, a drunk and a lust addict, get to do this is a miracle. It's a miracle. But guess what? You get to do it too. See, obey your leaders and submit to them for keeping watch over your souls. As those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You make me groan, you've got to answer to God. 
for that would be no advantage to you. No, you you, got to shoot straight with Pastor Mark, Pastor Ben, me, the elders. Like we always invite you to speak into us because you're watchmen for the glory of God. And guess what? We are so grateful that one of you watchmen come to us and say, there's something that doesn't smell right over there. Thank you. Thank you. Don't ever hesitate to do that. You're not, you're not like telling on people. First of all, by the way, if somebody's broken, what are you supposed to do first? You're supposed to go to them yourself. You're supposed to go to them yourself. But then it says, if they don't listen, go back and bring a brother. We're going to talk about this more. And then if you, they don't listen to the two of you, then, then you bring the church, right? This is part of being a watchman. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. But listen, it says here in Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Keep watch. This is why one of the first things that we should watch for in the body of Christ is contention and divisiveness. Jesus says in John 17, Father, make them one. Then the world will know. May they be brought to complete unity so the world will know. This is why the enemy wants to attack and divide. He wants to divide us relationally. So in the family, we need to keep watch out for the things that divide us relationally. We need to test everything against the spirit and word of God and the people of God. But we need to keep watch. And you are called to watch out with us. But see, the watchman doesn't watch just alone. They don't just see things. That's part of the huge problem. You ever heard the words armchair quarterback? Yeah, football's not such a popular thing for most of us anymore, right? I mean... But let's just think of it outside the context of the NFL. Sandlot, football. Used to play that a lot in Philly. We'd beat the crud out of each other. Beat the snot out of each other. It was so much fun. I would die now. But, you know, the armchair quarterback is the one that sits and watches and see the quarterback throw, and they go, oh, man, throw it better than that. And you're like, dude, what could you do? <laughs> like, what can you do? I'm incredibly critical of the Eagles quarterbacks in the past, and I'm like, yeah, I, I could even throw the ball half that well. I can't even throw a quarter that well. That's called an armchair quarterback. And you see what's happening is a lot of us watch, but we don't warn. And that's what the scripture calls us to do. You see, the watchman has to warn. Now, warning has to come in love. Everything is done in love. The scripture says, if you don't have love, you're nothing. You're just a resounding glong and a glanging symbol, right? So a lot of people say, I warn all the time. Yeah, but you're not very loving about it. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. It's a huge part of the problem that watchmen in in this culture don't warn. So we say, Lord, give us your eyes to see. Say that with me again. Lord, give us your eyes to see. But then we say, Lord, give us your mouth to speak. Lord, give us your mouth to speak. I'm going to say that again because most of your mouths weren't moving. Lord, give us your mouth to speak, right? You know, so we've heard it said before, preach the gospel daily and if necessary, use words. Well, that's a beautiful little phrase because to some extent it communicates a truth over here that like, you know, your life needs to reflect the gospel of God. The truth of the matter is that most of our lives don't. That's the gospel itself. The fact of the matter is we fail consistently and constantly and, and we're fumbling around and yet we are the people of light and the people of salt. But, you know, it, it also justifies to some extent that little phrase, not using our words to speak the gospel. And that would be so contrary to the gospel itself. It would be so contrary to the scriptures itself. We are the people who share the gospel. And we need to do that with Words. <laughs> we need to issue warnings. 
Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel so that you hear the word I speak and give them a warning. We need to say, Lord, give us your mouth to speak, not just your eyes to see, but our mouth to speak. It's clear in the scripture, the word of God, but it gets more specific than that. Based on the job of a watchman, the watchman was watching for opposing armies, and he would say, two arms, two arms, there's a danger coming. So the watchman speaks of doom. How popular will you be if you speak of doom? Think you're like, hey, let's hang out with Jeff. He loves talking about doom. He loves proclaiming darkness upon us. Let's hang out with him a little more. Do you think you'll be very popular if you actually speak of doom? But listen to me. If you speak to the people of God in the way that God would have you speak, it might not win you kind of accolades, but you know what? People will know you love them, and I'm going to explain that in a second. When you, when I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade them for their ways, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. Um, that's not eternally accountable for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can get into that a little better, but what that means is that you've failed on your mission, And rewards in heaven are based on what we do here on planet Earth. Our acceptance is not based on what we do here on planet Earth, but rewards are. So, you know, the scripture talks about this one passing through the fire and and all their works would be burned up. That's the the person that by the grace of God is in the kingdom of God, but nothing that they really did came from that place. And the scripture says, you know, faith without works is dead. So, you know, I'll let you sort that out. But, But the truth is, we do speak of things that are very difficult, Watchmen say very difficult things, things that will not gain them accolades and popularity and plaudettes from the people around them. This is why prophets were like thrown into ditches and buried half alive and beaten and all kinds of stuff because people didn't want to hear this stuff. This doesn't make you popular to speak this stuff, but a watchman does not shirk back from that. Why? Because he or she is protecting the people within the walls. It's love. It's love. So there's two different types of doom that I'm going to talk about. One's called an immediate doom and the other one's called an eternal doom. But the first immediate doom, this is speaking truth to someone who is going a direction apart from God on a path that will take them far from God. This is someone who's sinning against God. They may be a brother or sister in the Lord that you know. And it says in 6.1, Galatians, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them gently. But watch yourselves that you do not fall. I'm an alcoholic. I'm recovered by the grace of God 36 years. But like if I wanted to help my alcoholic friend, it's probably best that I don't meet him at a bar. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to be sitting next to somebody who's smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. Now, by the way, people ask me, they're very polite. You mind if I drink around you? That's fine. It's not like I'm going to start salivating. But, but here's the truth, like, you understand there are ways in which you also can fall into temptation, but you are called to restore your brother or sister gently. That means you're supposed to go to them and say, I love you dearly, and this is what I love about you, and I'm seeing this thing in your life that's not right, and I'm just, I'm just trying to bring that to you because I want to be a watchman over your soul. I want to help you. I want to help you make sure that you're protecting your walls. Like, I want to, I want to make sure that you're having the peace of God, so I'm here to love you in a tough way. 
Matthew 18, 5, 17, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. I always think this is pretty funny because you're supposed to treat him like a tax collector, like your enemy. And then Jesus says, love your enemies, right? So... But here's my question to you. Have you shrunk back? Have you shirked your responsibility as a watchman? Have you told your brothers and sisters around you the truth about what you see in them, both good and bad? Have you hesitated to tell someone you know and love who is in the body of Christ of the danger of their sin? I have at times. You see, we're called by God to be people who speak the truth as watchmen. Because we understand by the word of God that sin will displace people's peace. God hates sin. Why? Because he loves people and sin hurts people. Can you say that with me? Sin hurts people. I had a conversation with a guy last night and I was talking about my struggle with fasting this week. I fasted this week, and by the grace of God, I was able to do that. But I have issues with food, and I, I by the grace of God, I've been trusting God with that over years. I'm not done. It's just, you, know, you, gotta, you have to eat, but you don't have to eat as much as I do. And so I um, shared with a brother last night that, man, at the end of the fast, at 5 o'clock each day, and then yesterday at 9, like I had a tendency to overeat. And you know what we ended up doing? We ended up laughing. It's really not funny. I was deeply convicted about an hour after that, I went home. And yes, there's a way that we can laugh at ourselves that's good and light and proper and stuff like that. But I was laughing at my sin. Forgive me, God. I don't want to laugh at my sin. I can be such a glutton. Deliver me, Lord Jesus. Help me to continue to repent before you of my unhealthy dependence on the gift of food in Jesus' name. You see, like, so when we interact with our brothers and sisters, it's our job to love them dearly. And part of the way that we love them is we speak truthfully to them. We put off all falsehood and speak truthfully to our neighbors. Do you understand something? If you have somebody who's treating you tersely and harshly in your life, and if you go to them and say, I love you dearly, but when you said that to me, it hurt me. And this is what I would prefer you would do. Can can you, can you live with me differently? Can you relate with me differently? You know when you have the guts to do that, what you're doing? You are helping everybody else that that person interacts with. You are loving not just them, but everybody else that person interacts with. You see, iron sharpens iron. And what we've done is we've tried to be marshmallow for iron. You think a marshmallow will sharpen an iron? We've bought hook, line, and sinker into thinking that love doesn't say tough stuff, but that is a lie. You see, we don't want to talk about the immediate doom that can come to people, but we talk about eternal doom. Listen to Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? And then he says, then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
You see, they're, they're talking about things that they did. They thought that somehow the things that they did earned them a right to have a relationship with Jesus. And he didn't say, you didn't do enough. That's not how he responded. He said, away from me, I never knew you. I didn't have a relationship with you. I was knocking on your door, but you didn't open it. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal life, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a place called hell. And that is eternal separation from God and his presence. Look, you're here on planet Earth. You've tasted some of the things of hell because you've experienced the brokenness and fallenness of this world. But you have to understand that this world is still filled with the glory of God and there's much of the goodness of God here. So you experience the goodness of God when you go out and look at a tree and you study a leaf or you see a bug or you see a child um, laughing and you get to help them in some way or you help your neighbor. See, this is the goodness of God. In hell, there will be no light. There will be no love. There will be no goodness of God forever. See, many people are going to be left outside the walls of Jerusalem. They're going to be left out there, and it's our job as watchmen to warn them. To get inside the walls, man. Come in, there's a place for you here. There's a God who loves you, who forgives you, who is filled with grace and mercy towards you. I want you to raise your hand today if you have a family member or a close friend who doesn't know Jesus. Okay, that's probably all of us. So so here's the truth. Have you been a watchman for that person? This is not a popular thing. This goes against the grain. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Are you being a watchman enough to be persecuted? This is the test of your need for repentance. I have a brother, his name's Tom. He's 20 years older than me. I love him deeply. He's been a practicing Buddhist most of his life. Tom, if you're listening, I love you. I'm not going to say anything here to you that I haven't said to him. I don't think Tom listens to this. Tom hasn't had a whole lot of interest in Jesus over his life. I've talked to Tom about Jesus, and he at times has bottomed out and called me and even asked me to pray for him. And he says things like, can you pray for me but not pray for my conversion? And I said, Tom, it just doesn't work that way. I'm sorry, I can pray for you, but I got to pray that you'll come to Jesus. You know, I love him and you know that, you know, that's what I think is going to be the way to eternal life. But it was probably a couple years ago that I got a whole lot bolder and I had already given Tom a couple books, but I gave him another book. And then I had this conversation with him in the kitchen that kind of took my breath away. And I looked at him and I said, I love you. I want you to be with me in God forever. But Tom, if I'm right, you're going to be in hell forever. Would you please consider Jesus? Because I want you to be with him where he is. Because if I'm right, Tom, everything weighs on this. I really believe I told him with the heart of God, and he looked at me and he laughed. And then he went and talked to my brother-in-law, and they laughed about me. And they laughed about Jesus. It's okay. Like, that's what we're supposed to expect. But will you be a watchman for the people around you? Will you please be bold enough 
in the spirit to say to them, I love you, I love you, I love you. And if I'm right, and I'm pretty sure I am, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not eternally safe and secure. And you are going to be left outside the walls of the kingdom of God. And you do not want to be out there because it is filled with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it is going to be a horrible place for eternity apart from the Lord Jesus. Will you please consider him? Because his invitation to you is so beautiful. But at your last breath, at your last heartbeat, it will be too late. And you're only one heartbeat away from being in that place. So there's no waiting. It's now. It's now. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ, your time is now. Can I warn you? Can I tell you? Please, you don't know what's going to happen to you when you leave these doors. This is your time. You're not here by accident. All you can do is simply say a little prayer in your heart to invite Jesus in. If you're here, please bow your heads with me now. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ, this is what I want you to do. You don't have to pray my words. You can pray your own words. But listen, you're not here by accident. And the Lord loves you and he wants to bring you into the walls of his Jerusalem. He wants to bring you into the city of peace forever with him because he loves you. So consider these words. Lord Jesus Christ, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I receive your gift of your blood at the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Lord, I ask now that by your grace you would come into my heart and make it your home. I receive your gift of salvation. Make me the person that you've intended me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look, if you just said that little prayer, can I tell you something? If you weren't in Christ, you've now gone from outside the walls into the walls. You may not feel it right away, but you were under condemnation and now you are under grace. Your life has changed radically for eternally. Praise God, angels in heaven are rejoicing right now. If you're online and you said that prayer, praise God. Angels in heaven are rejoicing right now. Look, you go, can it be that simple? Yes, it's free. Scripture says your works are just like filthy rags. My works like filthy rags. We have nothing to give God except our very selves. And he's gratefully bought us back. Here's my question. Are you, are you ready to be bold enough to speak the truth? Yes, you need to do this in the right way and at the right time. But my question is, how long will you wait? And what better time than now? I want you to bring to mind a family member or a friend who doesn't know Jesus. If you haven't prayed for this person as much as you know you could have, if you haven't spoken to this person clearly about the doom that awaits them, if you haven't pleaded with them to come to Christ, I want you to close your eyes and, and listen to these um, words. Lord Jesus, please forgive us of our sin, of apathy. Please, us, please forgive us for not praying for the lost more than we need to, and specifically these people that are in our minds now. Please forgive us for not speaking the truth of eternal separation from you. Please forgive us for letting fear keep us silent. 
Lord Jesus Christ, we repent. Okay, so that's tough stuff, and that's talking about doom, but the watchman also talks about dawn. So I'm going to sail through this. Listen, Psalm 135 through 6, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for morning, more than a watchman wait for morning. This can be divided into two parts as well, both immediate and eternal. Listen, the watchman watches for dawn to come because in the nighttime you can't see clearly the enemy. But when the light shines, then you can more clearly see what's happening. So the watchman waits for dawn with great anticipation. And this psalm is saying, my soul waits for you, God, more than a watchman waits for morning. This is with great anticipation. And of course, this is talking about a number of things. One, the coming of God now, for the kingdom of heaven is upon you, and the coming of, of Jesus when he comes back forever. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Period. Always. Do you know Jesus is coming back? He's coming back for his bride. And he's going to take us to be with him where he is forever. Praise the Lord. Right? Listen, listen to this place, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, praise the Lord. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the dwelling place of God is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, the watchman speaks of not just doom but dawn. And not only that, The watchman speaks of decisions. You see, it says here, Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, know my heart, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? You see, we speak of decisions that affect today, decisions that affect the future, and decisions that impact for eternity. Talk with people who don't know Jesus. Tell them how much he loves them. Now, this may feel foreign and awkward for many of you. I know when I started talking to people about Jesus, it felt really awkward and weird. Why is that? Because your flesh doesn't want you to talk to people about Jesus. Because the enemy doesn't want you to talk to you about Jesus. And because you need practice. You need practice. Practice makes perfect. Are we practicing? That's the question. Am I practicing talking to people about Jesus? I love my wife. She's incredible. Can I tell you, she's in an amazing job right now in school. She's, do you mind if I brag on you? She's in Moody Bible Institute right now. She's studying Old Testament. It's like this deep end course that's like, she brings me stuff and she goes, can you help me with this? I'm like, I have no clue what you're talking about. (laughs) She's got an A average. She's knocking it out of the park for the glory of God. I, I just, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Like, I'm just seeing Jesus in her in such amazing ways. I love my wife. Now listen, do you hear how I just talked about her? She's my wife. I love her. But if I talk about her more than I talk about Jesus, I'm failing. 
I am so in love with Jesus. As much as I'm in love with her, guess what? She fails me and I fail her. But guess who never fails me? Jesus Christ never fails me. Can I tell you this? He bought me back. He saved me. He changed my life. He actually changed my heart. He changed the way that I think. He actually put me in a place where I can serve the king. Unbelievable. He took a dirt bag like me and he raised me up into a son of the most high God. I love him so much. Right? So look, if you love Jesus, if you say you love Jesus, then say you love Jesus. I'm not talking about here. You know why? Because this is a safe place for you to love Jesus. Guess what? You're in church. But can you say you love Jesus in the workplace? Oh, no, Pastor Jeff, I can't say that. Hockey pucks. Of course you can. Well, it's not the right cultural thing to do. Do you allow the culture to dictate who you are and what you do? That's what got us here. That's what got us here. We let the culture creep into our own Jerusalems and tell us what we're supposed to be doing. Can you talk about your love for Jesus in the Walmart? Sure you can. Can you tell the checkout counter how much you love Jesus, especially after you've treated them well? Don't treat them like crap and then tell them you love Jesus. Look, we're out of time, and I was supposed to call the worship team back out, but I'm not. I was going to show you a video, but I'm not. I'm just going to close in prayer. If you want to see the video, come to the next service. Maybe I'll be able to do <laughs> Would you please say these words after me, Lord? Give us eyes to see. Give us your mouth to speak. And your heart to love others. To be watchmen. Lord, we repent. Help us to be watchmen from this day forward. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are the greatest watchman who ever was and ever will be. You came and you blew a trumpet and you took on flesh and you warned us. You spoke love and light to us. You spoke of the dawn and you spoke of the doom. You told us that we will triumph over evil by the blood that you have shed for us and by the word of our testimonies. Lord, help us to be numbered among those who did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Help us to be numbered among those that consider all else rubbish in comparison to knowing you and sharing in the fellowship of your sufferings. And we have closing today. If you're willing to leave this place and repent of your sins of omission and you're willing to turn over a whole new day in a way of being a watchman for God, will you please stand? Lord, we know clearly how we got to this place. We come before you and we repent. Help us to know that it's not difficult, it's impossible apart from you. But in you, Lord, actually, it's pretty easy. (laughs) If we really do love you, help us just to say it. Doom part's harder, Lord, but if we really truly do love people, help us to warn them. And help us then to let the results up to you and them, Lord God. 
Thank you that you are the faithful one, that your mercies are new every morning, and that we get to start over with you every day. We pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. God bless you, Grace. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next Sunday. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.